Welcome. It's time to elevate your consciousness and tune in. This is Mastermind with your host, Dr. Rebecca. This show is about possibilities. If you're successful, ready, and highly motivated to make the necessary changes in your life, we'll provide the tools, direction, and encouragement to help you along the way. Now, here is Dr. Rebecca. Welcome to Mastermind. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca. Today is all about memory. How good is your memory? Two weeks ago, we heard from Dr. Marie Kay, the oldest person ever to compete in the USA Memory Championship, and as far as I know, the oldest memory athlete in the country. Today, I have with me one of the masterminds behind this competition, Mr. Michael Dottino, CFO of the USA Memory Championship. Hello, how are you? Hi, good. Welcome to Mastermind. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Really excited to be on the show. So I'm just going to read a little bit about you. I know you're responsible for the development of new products and services for the USA Memory Championship, including the online course, Maximum Memory Mastery, and have spent the last years developing the core curriculum for the Maximum Memory Mastery. And currently you provide both personal coaching and classroom instruction of its material. Um, you all also collaborate with the neuroscience department at MIT to ensure that the memory and learning principles included in the USA Memory Championships training are consistent with current research in the field. So this is all neuroscience based. Yes. Um, and you spent 20 years studying the topics of memory, creativity and learning to learn. Mm-hmm. All right, and also prior to joining the USA Memory Championship, Michael had almost 30 years of progressive finance experience. He was senior finance leader at Walt Disney, and then he was also at Toys R Us and Arthur Anderson. And so with that introduction, um, let's get started. So I don't know if you are aware, I know you know uh, Marie Kay very well, very well, our show was a very eye-opening show because so many people believe that they have little to no control over changes in their mind as they get older. Mm-hmm. But when Kay told her story and talked about her decision to be a memory athlete and her determination to train and compete against people in their 20s, mm-hmm. then also her decision to level the playing field by maximizing the power of her mind, she really opened up new possibilities for us, and especially for those listeners in their 60s and 70s who'd like to keep their minds young. Well, it, it's, it's very true, and there are a number of myths that are out there that unfortunately seem to have taken hold in our culture about memory and brain function in general, which is, you know, my memory is not going to be as good as I get older. Learning things is, is really hard. And the reality is, based on the neuroscience, these things just aren't true. And in fact, the, the physiology of the brain and the way that memory and learning work, uh, b- both of those indicate that it, it actually gets easier to learn and your memory improves uh, as you get older. But for some reason, we've got, there's a, a lot of information out there that, that needs to be rebutted because it, it just isn't accurate. And unfortunately, too many people have taken it to heart and when that happens, then it can start to become self-fulfilling and it really doesn't need to be. So, and also as a coach, I know that you work with a lot of people and you like to start out with memory fundamentals. So basically what you're referring to is that there are a lot of myths 
uh, about the brain and about memory. And from what you say, our memory actually gets better as we get older. And so what are some of the other brain fundamentals that you like to introduce before training someone? So the brain has approximately 86 billion neurons, and each neuron has two features to it that are important for communicating information. So a neuron has a dendrite, or actually multiple dendrites, to receive messages, and it has an axon, which is used to send messages away. And neurons connect with each other across a, uh, a something called a synapse or a synaptic gap where a message transmitted through an axon from one neuron crosses a gap and is received by a dendrite at an adjacent neuron. And then as, as messages are consistently transmitted back and forth between the neurons, the, strength, the connection itself strengthens. So an expression you'll actually hear regarding memory is that neurons that fire together eventually wire together. That's one of the principles behind what forms the connections in the brain. So the more often those same connections, those same pathways fire, the stronger that pathway is. Yes, that is correct. And that's why as people gain more experience or they end up uh, re-experiencing memories or thoughts, those connections get stronger, which is most times a benefit, but sometimes not such a great thing because there are times when you are automatically going down the pathway of remembering mm-hmm. thoughts and you actually wish that you could rewire that pathway to go someplace different. Right. So it, it's a mixed blessing. Most of the times it's good, but once in a while you actually wish you could forget. So in the, in the case where we actually want to remember and we're firing these different pathways, in a practical sense, how would I, if I am training my memory, how would I strengthening these strengthen these pathways what would i do in order to have these neurons fire together over and over and over again so the the trick is you want to be able to do a combination of things so the one is uh, having the experience of having that thought or emotion or experience come to mind and then that will strengthen it but what i want to be careful of is that many people have a very negative association with it because they think of rote memorization, and they, they have flashbacks to third grade uh, uh, mm-hmm. and just repeating the multiplication tables over and over again. Right. I'm not saying that people need to do that, so please, if you're, if you're having that flashback <laughs> like I do when I talk about it sometimes, that's, that is not the only way to get these to fire, and it's not even the most effective way. I think you've already scared those people. They've already turned the show off. <laughs> <laughs> Right. So what you, what you actually want to do is the way to get the memory, uh, your, your memory firing on as many cylinders as possible actually has to do with the fact that you're, you're branching to other neurons and what your brain loves to do with new information is link, connect, and associate it. And so what ends up happening is the way that you strengthen memories is, is not just by the refiring of those neurons, but what you end up doing is adding to your branch of potential links, connections, and associations. Right. And so what that does is it gives you many more different ways of accessing that memory as opposed to just the original thought, emotion, 
or, or other experience that you had to get it the first time. And that's actually a much more powerful way of improving the, the quality of that connection is giving it more access points, more ways to get there to relive it. Okay, so so basically, the more access points you have to this this pathway, how does that? Can you clarify that a little bit? The more access points I have to this pathway, the more um, I'm able to more anchors I have for memory, or the more things I'm able to remember. Sure. So just to to give you a a sense of how powerful your potential storage capacity is. So when we're born we have on an average of about 2,500 neuron, um, connections for a neuron. Uh, by the time we're age three, your average neuron has the ability to connect uh, to 15,000 other neurons. Mm-hmm. So your neuron has so many different ways of forming these links, connections, and associations to other neurons that when you do the math and you, you say, okay, I've got 86 billion of these, and each one of these can potentially connect to up to 15,000 other neurons, very quickly you begin to realize that your capacity for thinking mm-hmm. and for memory is virtually infinite, mm-hmm. actually more than the, the stars in the Milky Way galaxy. So if you were going to try to compare your brain to that, that literally is the potential that you have to work with. So what you want to be able to do is to find as many of those other potential connections from neuron to neuron as you possibly can. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways that you do that is you find other ways of linking, connecting, and associating with other related ideas uh, to that original idea. So, for instance, one, uh, one example that we use is if I say the word tiger. So, for, for some people, the first thing that's going to pop into their mind is going to be the, an image of a tiger. For right. others, it may be the, the word tiger. For others, it may be the sound that the tiger makes, or they may remember a time where they've seen a tiger in a zoo, or they may remember what a tiger looks like when it's walking or it's leaping. Every- or frosted flakes. Yeah, or it could be Tony the Tiger. You're great. So, so the, the thing is, is every one of those becomes a different way of getting to the memory of the concept of Tiger. And what's cool about it is the way that your brain stores Tiger is every one of those is a, is a potential entry point to the memory of Tiger. And that's one of the ways why the human brain is, in that sense, more powerful than a computer. Because in a computer, you're going to have to point specifically, specifically to the address in your brain that you wanted from, for Tiger. And if you don't get the address exactly right, you're going to point to the wrong data. In the okay. brain, you get to any one of those connected neurons, and they will in turn connect you to Tiger. Oh, wow. So, uh, yeah, multiple ways to get to the same thing. And it sounds like then this is also related to creativity. Like the more creative I am, the more different connections or different ways I can get to the same thing, mm-hmm. then the better I can make my memory. That is true. And this, so we're touching on a, on a memory myth that needs to get busted because it, it does so, it limits people's potential so much. So, People think of memory, and they usually think, boring, I'm going to have to repeat the same stuff over and over again, and eventually I'm just going to pound it in, and, if, and it's going to stick. So people associate memory with being as 
non-creative as you can possibly be, when in reality, the, the broader your memory gets, the, more of, uh, the broader your base of knowledge gets, the more links, connections, and associations you have to make to new inputs. So you actually end up becoming more creative as your memory increases. What's so one of the things from my own personal story is when I first started learning about memory 20 years ago, my interest was not originally in memory. It was in creativity. And the, the neuroscientist that I was working with at that time, Tony Buzan, said, well, if you want to understand how to become more creative, then the first thing you really need to do is to learn how to improve memory. Because memory is, the, is really the foundation for creativity. And you improve memory and improve creativity is an automatic benefit that you get from it which is a very different message than what a lot of people think of when they think about memory and the assumption that memory and creativity have nothing to do with each other. And in fact, many to many people are mere opposites. It really isn't true. And as a result, they miss out on the chance to become a lot more creative than they otherwise could be. I agree with that. So let me stress this. Memory is the foundation of creativity. That's a really important point for people to get. I don't have to say just from the memory training that I've done, as I've learned the memory techniques and I've had to think of creative ways to memorize things and to make new connections and, you know, look at a house and think of a house completely differently or look at a room and think about, and we'll talk about later about the different techniques, but there are certain techniques that you, you use to to memorize things. And if you, if you don't use creativity, it's really, really difficult to remember things. But the more creative we are and the more, let's say, with a tiger, the more associations we have with a tiger or the more associations we have with any particular object or person, the, the better our memory becomes and the increasing associations, the more associations we can make. That is very true, and it's another one of the secrets uh, associated with memory training is, uh, again, I think the perception is that, okay, I'm going to learn these tips or tricks or procedures, and you know, they're going to be very, uh, they're very scientific and, and cold and uninteresting, but I'm going to master them because I want the benefit of having an improved memory, when in reality... Uh, applying the, the techniques uh, really requires you to become more creative because the, 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 you get to be more creative in the linking, connecting, and the associating. And, and really what ends up happening is when you apply a memory system to remember any long string of data. So it could be, uh, it could be text, it could be lyrics, lyrics through a song. It could even be a, a, a person's last name if the name is multiple syllables and quite complicated, you end up creating stories where you take the individual data bits that you've memorized and you link them together to remember a story. And a story is how you access that memory in total. And the reality is, is by creating more stories, you become more creative in the process, which in turn leads to you making even better stories, which makes you even uh -huh. more creative. So you get the positive synergy. So it, you absolutely, by practicing memory techniques, become more creative as a result of doing it. And creating those stories is fun because you can do it not only when you're training, you know, training memory training, but for anything. It just helps in everyday life to create new associations and stories and things like that. It just becomes fun. It's not rote or, or boring at all. It's actually pretty fun.
Yes, and in fact, I got to see this firsthand Wednesday. I was teaching a, a class of senior citizens in Celebration, Florida, uh, specifically uh, techniques for improving recall of names and faces. And so, the aside from the actual techniques of identifying the facial feature and, and trying to find sound-alike words for the person's name, ultimately to be able to to really make it pop, you've got to be able to link them, link all the individual pieces together to create a story. And so one of the people uh, that, uh, one of the examples we had was a, a person whose name was Anthony Gibbs. And what I did with the class was five different people had remembered his name as part of the exercise. And I asked for, how did you do it? And I got five different ways of recalling the name. So one person had a, a sibling that was named Anthony, so they just imagined this Anthony being next to the Anthony that they knew. Uh, another person remembered an Anthony from uh, a favorite television show that they wanted, uh, that they watched all the time. Uh, a third person broke it up into the, the syllables ant and knee hmm. and, and saw that, and then they linked that to the person's face. And then what really got interesting is with, the, with Gibbs. So, again, it was... Some people were imagining him making the sound of, of actually speaking the word Gibbs. Mm -hmm. Other people associated with the last name. And then I got to myself. I'm going to date myself a little bit, but I think of Gibbs and I think of the Bee Gees. Oh. So I saw his picture and I imagined him singing like Barry Gibb. So, he, so I was thinking, eh. So I'm not a professional singer, as you can tell. But, but what's cool about it is... I've taught the exact same toolbox to, in this case, 30 different people. And the first five I call on all have five different ways of recalling the person's name and face. Right. And it works for every single one of them. And that's what's so cool about it. Because each person gets to apply their own life experiences, their own memories, and their own creativity. And that's what makes it so much fun. And then I would think also um, by people sharing that, that, you know, that that would then give other people new ideas and help them to be more creative because they hadn't thought of this or thought of that. So we're going to pause here. When we come back from break, we're going to talk a little bit more about how memory works. We're going to talk about um, the best ways to enhance memory and learning. So stay tuned. You're listening to Mastermind. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. Do you believe that being fit is difficult? Do you think it requires turning in your favorite comfort foods for boring chicken and broccoli and spending hours in a gym? It doesn't. Tune into Have It All with Devin Alexander. Devin and her guest experts will show you how you can have it all at any age, from relationships to money to thinking bigger than you've ever imagined. Devin will fast-track your goals to yummy reality. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. 
Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom. If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to the Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. It's time to unlock some of the best-kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in live every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time at 3 p.m. Eastern Time for The Forbes Factor. We guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. You are listening to Mastermind with Dr. Rebecca. To reach out to us during the live show, please call in to one 866 472 5795. Again, that's 1 866 472 5795. Or you can send an email to Dr. Huey at lifthealing.com. Now, back to Mastermind. And welcome back to Mastermind. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca. We're here talking with Mr. Michael Dottino of USA Memory Championships. And during the first segment, we got a little introduction to how memories are formed and then the best way to enhance our memory. And we learned that the foundation of everything is, um, or sorry, the memory is the foundation of creativity. And so contrary to popular belief, it's not a boring thing at all. It's actually really, really fun and enhances our creativity and our ability to learn other things as well. So during this segment, we are going to talk about um, the importance of incorporating. Let's talk first about the five senses. I know you talk a lot about five senses and incorporating the senses into memory as well. Can you tell us why that's important? Absolutely. So when, when you think of memory at its most foundational level, the brain has the easiest time processing things that are as close to pure sensory inputs as possible. So images, words, smells, taste, touch, and there are other ways to strengthen it as well. But when memory through the course of evolution, when, when memory was first really being put to good use, almost all of the primary inputs we were getting were pure sensory data because at that point we didn't have language, we didn't have even alphabet, we didn't have numbers. So so what memory had to work with was sensory input, a, a database made up of sensory input and life experiences. And so I think even today, even with the evolution of the brain and the more complicated information that we're asked to process today, the, the quickest way to get to a, a powerful memory is to take whatever that input is, especially if it's complex, abstract information mm-hmm. like long text or long numbers and such, and find ways of converting it to stuff that is as pure a sensory input as possible because 
that's the that gets the least resistance within the brain okay forming new memories and so that's actually a part of many of the techniques that we teach which is if you get something abstract like a number let's find a way of creating a technique that takes that number and converts it into either a picture or into a sound and then that picture or sound is going to be what we use to create the memory so that's how to get your memory working at its most powerful is ultimately either get the inputs directly that way or come up with a method or use one of the existing methods that takes them and converts them to a sensory input and then your memory gets to its maximum. So this is interesting. So how could I incorporate a sound? How could I look at a number? Because pictures are, are a little bit easier for me, but there are a lot of people who are more auditory. How could I use... Uh, my my sense of sound in order to create images or create sounds from numbers? Well, it isn't always necessarily that you're creating an image as much as you're creating a sensory input that you can link, connect, and associate. So I am a music lover. So when I'm meeting somebody, so I'm going to use names and faces as an example, although this works really well with uh, memorizing blocks of text as well. A lot of times what I will do is if I see a person's name, the first thing that pops into mind will be a song with a song lyric that is either written by somebody with that name or okay. where that name or a sound alike of that name is used as a lyric in the song. Um, another, okay. another thing that, that – so I'm going to go back to – a lot of times our best memory te techniques are taught to us as children and then we it's almost like we age out of them and we really don't need to. Think about nursery rhymes. Mm -hmm. Think about taking uh, rhymes and putting them to music. Mm -hmm. And just as you do them and you sing along and you get the music involved, how easy it is to recall everything that, that's being uh, linked together. Right. Now, now, for some things, it doesn't lend itself to that as well as others, but I, I'm going to refer to what I think was one of the all-time great memory tools. I'm going to date myself a little bit. Uh, th there used to be uh, cartoons uh, on Saturday morning called Multiplication Rock and Grammar Rock. Oh, and yeah. And, and they would create songs and lyrics that would teach the multiplication tables or English grammar. I remember conjunction, junction, what's your mm -hmm. function? Mm -hmm. And I remember history rock and the preamble of the Declaration of Independence. And I think those were absolutely brilliant because they combined uh, words with music and then, of course, the animation, so the pictures and the cartoons. So they gave children... Uh, and in my case, me, because I, I watch those all the time. And those things stuck in my memory. And I, I remember all the things to this day because of how effective they were in linking multiple senses to it. So some people might remember the images from the cartoons. I remember the music. But, mm -hmm. it, and, but a good system gives you both so that you're not, you're not stuck with one or the other. You're getting to it multiple ways. And that goes back to those pathways we make in the brain. So the more avenues we have to that information, the easier it is to recall. So let's say if I have a sound and then I also have a smell or I have a touch. So the, the, the different ways of getting to that information make it easier to recall. Yes. Now, the, now so the, the creative part is some senses are easier to create inputs for than others. And in the case, you mentioned the, sen the, the sense of smell. Mm -hmm. uh, that is actually the most powerful of the five. 
and that one gets a direct pathway that just goes right to memory. So mm-hmm. it, it and and so when you are able to access the the sense of smell, you are likely to trigger a rich bouquet of memories. And you think about things that you may remember from it could be possibly Thanksgiving uh, dinner when you're growing up yeah. to going past your your favorite bakery or just or they may not always even be pleasant smells. But the, I can guarantee you that the smell is very powerful. The, the challenge is, of course, with some of the items, you either may not have a, a memory of what the smell is or it may be one of those things where it's it, it just isn't very feasible to create a memory right. or, or a, a, uh, a representation of a smell. So smell is one of those sense, uh, sensory inputs where it is incredibly powerful when you can use it, but at times its functionality can be a little limited because it doesn't always have a great benchmark to use for the item that you're trying to remember. Okay. Okay. So what, what would be the easiest sense to... What, so... So what I found is for, I would say, about two-thirds of the people, it's an image. You find a way of taking an input and create it into a picture, and boom. So when I told you that I process things in terms of sound and music, I'm actually in uh, 10% of the, the population. Uh, 60% will see it in an image. 30% will see the image converted as a word. Mm-hmm. And 10% will process it using either sound or one of the other senses. So if, if I only could teach one method to a group of people and I didn't have the benefit of, of getting to know each student and finding out which method would work best for them, my default would be a memory system that relied primarily on imagery because that is likely to apply to almost two-thirds of my my audience or my students. Okay. And then the other ones just have to suck it up, huh? Well, that, see, and I don't <laughs> like that. And that's, that's why when I teach, the, so in, in the course that I, I've created, because, I mean, you and I know from firsthand experience, the suck it up approach, yeah. it's not sustainable. Right. So, so a good teacher and a good program gives you multiple options for for developing memories in particular applications and one is going to be a visual and other, but there are going to be other methods that don't require you to be a picture thinker because otherwise somebody like me would get stuck and so a, a good teacher and a good system really has multiple ways of learning it and each one appeals to a different style of learner right and um, so I want to shift gears a little bit yep. and talk now about memory rhythms and the best way. So we talked about kind of techniques for mm-hmm. learning things and, and what makes things stick better. Mm-hmm. There's also a certain rhythm or a certain timing during which we can study or memorize things that's best and it helps us to retain longer. Can you explain that a little bit? What are memory rhythms? Oh, now you're touching something near and dear to my heart because (laughs) if somebody is going to take one thing away from this and apply it to their life immediately, this would be the thing that they could start applying as, uh, as soon as they're done listening to your show and start to get significant improvement in memory. So there are short-term memory rhythms and long-term rhythms. So the short-term rhythms apply to when you are hearing something for the first time. So your memory, think of it from the beginning of learning 
something. So a classroom or a lecture or a meeting or anything like that. Think of it as being the beginning of a clothesline. And then think of the clothesline being the duration of that entire meeting, and then you get to an ending point, which represents the end of it. Now, from your own experience in looking at clotheslines or power lines, what happens when you make that line get longer and longer and longer? What happens to the middle? It sags. It sags big time. And you know what? That is exactly what happens to your ability <laughs> to remember stuff. So immediately, what you, you could you could intuitively picture is, okay, then I don't want really long clotheslines. I want a bunch of shorter clotheslines. So I don't get that big, deep sag in the middle. I've got shorter clotheslines with much smaller sags that don't go nearly as far. So the practical application is going to be, ideally, you want to take your learning segments and break them up into between 30 and 45 minutes. So power lectures or marathon learning sessions are working against your own biology. And mm-hmm. you're, you're, you are undermining your own ability to recall because two of the things your brain remembers the best are the very first things that it's exposed to at the beginning of a learning session and the very final things that it's exposed to at the end. Mm-hmm. And so when you're, when you're stretching those points farther and farther apart, you're already making it harder to learn information that would become easier if you just did it in smaller segments. So that's one change that people should apply immediately when they're, when they're studying. Because uh, I think a lot of us are, are used to the brute, me- brute force method, which yes. is, okay, I got two hours of studying I need to, to do, so I'm going to do two hours of uninterrupted studying. And then you wonder why two days later you can't remember anything you studied. <laughs> You're working against biology. So a a few other things that come into play with with the short-term memory rhythms. Another thing that we remember is anything that is really unusual. So if you're given a a bunch of information to memorize, anything that is unusual has a weird image, has a weird sound, has a a Mm -hmm. weird meaning or association – it's curious, and the brain the brain loves being curious and, and identifying unique things. By the way, this is why silly, funny, exaggeration, all those come into play. So anytime you can take something you're learning uh, and apply any or all of those things to it, you are greatly improving your chance to recall it. A couple of other things that improve your short-term memory rhythms, um, fire together, wire together, if you see it more than once. Now, please... I'm not saying rote memorization. Don't mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm. But if you just being exposed to it one uh, a couple of times will mm-hmm. improve your recall, as well as being able to link it to information that you already know. So right. that's that's why the more you learn, the easier it is to learn. Uh, th- that's another thing that works in the short-term memory rhythms. So apply. So the the practical standpoint from that is is make those study sessions shorter, 30 to 45 minutes, and in between every one of those sessions, five minutes of aerobic activity to get the, ex- oh, the yeah. oxygen in your brain flowing. Your brain uses is 2% of your body's mass and uses 20% of its oxygen on average. When you're studying complicated stuff, that consumption can go up to be over 30%. So one of the things you do to rejuvenate is get the oxygen flowing by getting up, walking around, doing some other kinds of activity, but the, that's another way of reinforcing those rhythms. Long-term memory rhythms. So there's the scientists actually in the 1880s, uh, Herming Ebenhaus, 
did a study to say when I learn information the first time and it's brand new and I don't do anything to, re to review it again, how much of it am I going to be able to remember after a day, a week, et cetera? Mm -hmm. And what you find out is within a day, between 50 and 75% of it's gone. It's gone, yeah. And by the end of a week, almost 90% of it is forgotten. So in addition to the short-term rhythms, to, be, to have a powerful long-term memory, and really long-term memory is the equivalent of learning something and really absorbing it, you need to build in increasing intervals of review. So normally when somebody's learning something new, what they ought to do is a day later, they ought to spend five minutes. If they've spent 30 to 45 minutes learning, they ought to spend five minutes reviewing. Okay. They, they ought to do the same thing again in a week and then again in a month. And in a month, you may want to actually take the review from five minutes to maybe a little bit closer to 10. Okay. And then from, so it's a day, a week, a month, three months, and then six months. And if you've done that review, by the time you've gotten to six months, you have locked it in pretty much forever. Wow. So, nice. so one of the things that I, that I tell students, and the reason that so many students cram for exams, uh, is because they are, what they're trying to do is wait until the last minute, knowing mm -hmm. that they're going to forget the stuff and, and try to time it. So I want to take the test before all that stuff leaks back right. out of my other ear. Right. Much better way of doing it is when you learn it the first time, you review it again a day later, a week later. And even those by themselves will take your forgetting curve and shift it way more favorably. So you just incorporate those two things and even if you don't learn any memory system at all, mm -hmm. you are going to develop a memory that is way more powerful than what you're currently used to. Guarantee it. Great. So basically, without all these fancy memory techniques that we're going to talk about, if you would just learn how to study and use these memory uh, rhythms, you will become a much, much, much better learner and you will retain things longer and you'll always be um, ahead of the game when it comes to m memorizing anything. That's correct. So um, we're going to pause right here again for a break. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about some practical memory techniques. And uh, we're talking with Michael Dottino, who is with the USA Memory Championship. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. Change can be a scary thing. It's way too easy to stay inside your comfort zone. But the world is changing, and that's not going to stop. Without adapting yourself to the rest of life is just selling yourself short. Join Sandra Hill every week for Grow Your Voice, Overcome Your Fears. You gain insight with expert guests, experiences, and tools to help you navigate the change and perhaps even welcome it. Listen live on Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Do you feel you have a bigger life's purpose than you're currently living? Of course you do. Activate your passion as you tune in to Sovereign Self with host Zofia Renea Morales. Become the conscious creator of your own life. Connect with your most powerful and purposeful self in order to make big things happen for you now. 
Sophia and her guests are doing this every day and are sharing how you can step into this power too. Listen to Sovereign Self every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Are you ready to be fabulous? You know, science has proven that women thrive in a tribe together. And now we invite you to join two fierce females, otherwise known as Sheila and Sarah, as they help you take the journey from flat to fabulous. It's fun, terrific stories and wise insight every week. Take better control of your life. Tune in every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time for Life from Flat to Fabulous on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Create happiness now. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Mastermind with Dr. Rebecca. To reach out to us during the live show, please call in to 1-866-472-5795. Again, that's one 866 Four seven two five seven nine five, or you can send an email to Dr. Huey at lifthealing.com. Now, back to Mastermind. And welcome back to Mastermind. This is Dr. Rebecca, and we're here with Michael Dottino of the USA Memory Championship. We have been talking about how our memory works, what's the best way to memorize, what's the best timing to use, and how memory improves our creativity. During this segment, we want to do some fun stuff so that we can give you a little taste of how the, one of the events that we do in the USA Memory Championship, which is memorizing cards. And you can use this also to play spades or hearts or um, whatever game it is, card game that you play. It's a way to memorize the cards that's easy and fun. So with that, let's get started. Okay. Um, and let me just remind people that the capacity for memory is endless. So I want you to open your minds and take this in because it's really good stuff and you can do it. Okay. So we'll talk a little bit about the, how you would go about memorizing a deck of cards. Full disclaimer here. If you decide to use any of this to become a professional gambler, you did not learn this from me. I had nothing <laughs> to do with it. Uh, I'm assuming that this is for recreational activity only. So with that disclaimer now fully out of the way, mm-hmm. uh, what you would do, uh, so to start with, I'm going to teach uh, the method that is used the most often, and it's a, a visual method. It's called the image library and, or the image method. And what you will do is for each one of the four suits of cards, you will create uh, and you will assign, I should say, an overall theme to the suit. So uh, typically when I teach this, I will start with the suit of hearts and the theme that I will assign uh, uh, by default is friends and family Uh, because a lot of people will think of the image of a heart and it'll be okay, people that I love and I care about. So it it just is an uh, an instinctive connection with with that suit in that image. So how do you go about creating your own image library? Well, what you do is for each one of the 13 cards in the suit, mm-hmm. you will begin by picking the, the first card. So we're going to start with the ace. And then with the ace, you're going to assign a, a noun and an action verb that you will now think of every time you see that card. So 
well, many times when somebody thinks of an ace, they will think of themselves and they'll say, okay, so let's assume that you really enjoy playing the guitar. Mm-hmm. So the, so the image you create for the ace is going to be a picture of you. And let's say you're even decked out in your favorite heavy metal gear because you like to really shred. And then you imagine yourself playing the guitar. But, and again, this is where exaggeration, silly, funny, really helps. You're, you're, you're playing the guitar so loud that you can actually imagine that you're going to be blowing people's windows out because of how loud it is and you're, you're doing the guitar behind the back. So you're creating all kinds of really semid, silly, I'm sorry, vivid images in your mind that you're going to think of every time that you think of the ace of hearts. Now let's move to the king. So for many people, a king could be father. So my father happens to love playing golf. So the image of the king is going to be my father um, in golf attire, and I'm going to put one of those silly golf caps on him. Uh, and even the, the, the golf knickers, uh, no offense if you happen to wear them, but I want this image vivid. And I'm going to imagine him going up to the tee box, and he is swinging a golf club as hard as he can, and he completely whiffs on the ball. Mm-hmm. And not only does he whiff, but he loses his balance, and he falls over, and the other people are politely snickering. Actually, they're not being very polite. They're snickering. Right. <laughs> okay. So now you've got me rocking a guitar and my father whiffing on a golf swing. So for the queen, let's pick my mother. So let's, let's imagine that my mother's favorite thing to do is to go to the beach and to get a suntan. Mm-hmm. So in this case, mom forgot to put her sunblock on. So mom's tan has made her into a lobster and she is very cranky about it because she's burned and she's got all kinds of uneven tan lines because she didn't even realize that part of the area she was tanning ended up getting covered by sand. So I've got mom in her bathing suit and I've got her rubbing suntan lotion uh, and now calamine lotion afterwards (laughs) over the burns. So, So what you end up doing is for each one of the cards, you create, the, you assign it to somebody that you're going to symbolize with that card and then a really funny action with it. So a Jack could be a brother, it could be a cousin, it could be a, a, a male friend. Um, and then once you get to the numbers, you really get to be creative because at that point, there may not be any one thing that you naturally associate with it. Maybe you know people that you automatically think of a number, but the reality is, you get lots of freedom to be able to assign whoever you want. So that can be where you assign your best friend. Uh, it, it could be somebody that you really like that you work with. Um, you may even decide to assign pets to hearts if, you're, if you are a true animal lover, although that may have implications later on, depending on what you do with the other suits. Right. So I'll just put that disclaimer out up front. But then what you do is when it comes time, to memorize those cards in order. This is where the storytelling part comes in, where you get to have a lot of fun and you link the image and the action together to create the story. So let's assume that I want to link the ace, the king, and the queen together using the images and the actions that I just uh, described a little while ago. Okay. Okay. So I'm doing my first ever concert. And I've managed to get invited to an exclusive golf club. 
So despite the fact that I'm at a golf club, I decide that I'm going to blast my concert so that everybody all over the course happens to hear it. So I'm on the course and I'm rocking and rocking. And my father happens to be there in his silly knickers mm-hmm. and, and his, and his uh, golf cap. And the music is so distracting to him that it causes him to lose focus and completely whiff on his swing. Mm-hmm. And so he then in turn takes his golf club and he throws it into a sand bunker. And guess who happens to be in the sand bunker? Your well, mom. My, my mother decided she couldn't make it all the way to the beach. So she <laughs> decides she's going to end up getting a tan while being in the sand bunker. So this, the club almost hits her in the head. So she's not real happy about that. And she's even less happy about the fact that she didn't remember to put suntan lotion on. And she's burned up and she's uh, rubbing calamine lotion all over her. Mm-hmm. So what I've now done is I've taken those three cards and I've linked them together to create a story. Now, what will happen is you, you need to invest the time up front to create the pictures and the actions for all 52 cards. Typically, you do one suit at a time with one theme. And then as you're remembering those cards in whatever order they are when the deck is shuffled, you're linking those together to create a story just like I did for the first three cards in the deck. And your story is going to be different every time because the order is going to be different every time. So you can see that this is one way we're practicing this stuff really boosts your creativity because you're getting to come up with all kinds of silly stories. Right. And you had to find a way to connect each image and action to the subsequent image and action. And each connection is different because like you said, the order is different. Yes. So when, so hearts is typically the most straightforward. Um, When we start to get to the other suits again, I, this, I only am making suggestions when I'm working with a class or with a student, I, I strongly encourage them to create a theme that works best for them. Uh, what I do for, uh, for the suit of spades is I, that's the suit that I actually use for animals. So I t- when I'm doing it myself, I won't use pets for hearts. I'll put them in spades. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 my, my pets don't think this is funny, but I think of them because of I spade my dog or I spade my cat. <laughs> I'm sure they don't yeah, yeah, yeah they, don't, they don't think it's funny, but it always helps me remember it. <laughs> Now, for for spades, it doesn't have to just be pets. In fact, wilder, more exotic animals are easier to remember. So uh, the ace could be a a killer whale. The king could be the king of the jungle. It could be a lion. And Mm -hmm. then in that case, you imagine the the killer whale, you imagine maybe it's it's spouting water out from a spout, or maybe it's leaping out of the ocean and it's creating an enormous splash that just sends water everywhere. And the, for the king, you can, the king of the jungle, the lion, maybe you imagine the, the lion giving a tremendous roar and uh, maybe even rearing up. So that one gets the benefit of adding sound to the, yeah. to, to the picture uh, as well as motion. And then you would get, maybe the queen is uh, a black widow uh, and you imagine the spider weaving a web. Those are just my examples. You are always encouraged to create your own, but you're using the exact same process again, and you're quickly filling up your image library to represent all 52 of the cards. Mm -hmm. Um, For the suit of diamonds, a lot of times uh, people will think of entertainers 
or celebrities, or maybe if they they really enjoy music, they'll come up with uh, famous musicians. Uh, the idea being that uh, a diamond glitters and a, a diamond is shiny, just like a lot of yeah. entertainers or celebrities are. Uh, and then for clubs, clubs actually seems to be the suit that has the biggest divergence in terms of what people assign it to. Um, some people may assign it uh, historical figures. Uh, some people may assign it to favorite characters from fiction. So I've had people I've worked with that have assigned clubs to Harry Potter or Walt mm-hmm. Disney or Marvel or DC Comics. There's nothing. Oh, that's fine. I mean, there's nothing you, uh, specific about any one of those. Uh, all you're really looking for is can I get 13 vivid images and actions that are all consistent within those themes? So you get lots of flexibility, and then. Then what you'd end up doing is you go through, and before you worry about remembering things in order, you want to get to a point where you've mastered one suit, where you, where you can instantly recall, just like on a snap, mm-hmm. image action, image action for all 13. Then you go from one to two, then from two to three, and then eventually from three to four. But I would caution anybody that starts practicing with this. Don't worry about the linking of the stories together for the cards that are randomly shuffled until you have mastered all 52. So, you know, until you have an image and an action for each of the 52 cards, don't make up any stories. Yes. And and the reason you do that is because what you'll find is if you haven't truly mastered the image and the action and they're not vividly in your mind so that you recall them as soon as the card comes up, you're going you're gonna to fumble around quite a bit when you're trying to create the story. Right, because you have to go back and say, oh, yeah, what was that? Who was that? Which, which picture did I have? And so it messes with your ability to just, to just flow through a story. Yes. There are more advanced memory techniques that are available for memorizing cards in order. And the, the basic one that I've just taught you will work really well for memorizing one deck in order. And if you're playing hearts or spades, uh, you, just doing this is a great way of memorizing which cards have been played. So, I mean, think about what mm-hmm. that would do for your card playing game. Yeah. So you you instantly remember every card and every trick that's been thrown out. You will start crushing people, and they will have no idea what happened. Right, because you can make even as each each um, book goes out, as each person throws a card. If you have practice, and you can make up a story sequentially every time a card is thrown out, and um, then you'll have memorized the whole order of the game. Yes. That will yeah that will definitely change our card game recreational of course only yes you uh, <laughs> <laughs> very true <laughs> so in all of this I want to tell people we only have a couple minutes left all of this is in this memory program that you have online do you want to tell us just quickly what that is sure so there's uh, I've created an online course it's maximum memorymastery.com. It is completely self-study. It's online and it's broken up into a format that's very similar to if you've ever done online training with websites like lynda.com where I have 10 modules that are created plus five bonuses. Each module 
uh, covers one theme. And then within the module are multiple self-directed three to five minute lessons along with things that you can, so you can also download the content from the lesson. Mm -hmm. And you've got fun exercises, which you can do to reinforce the learning. But the intent is that it is completely intended to be self-study. You get the instruction, you get narration or video from me, plus you get the follow-up exercises to reinforce the, the lesson. So the, that course is intended for anybody that wants to learn not just the foundations of memory, but also the specific uh, memory techniques like the Roman Rome or mm -hmm. the image method or such. But it is self-directed and definitely got uh, intended and focused on beginners that don't have a lot of previous exper uh, experience in memory techniques. And I've started the course. It's excellent. So you, you'll want to check it out. Ma Maximum Memory Mastery. Um, we, just a little time we have left. I, so I have a suggestion. I think you should come back on and I'll bring a couple people on and we'll have them competing against each other and see who, who um, has the best memory. Do some memory techniques and then see, see what happens. Well, that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, we actually have our 21st annual USA Memory Championship uh, coming up this April. Uh, yeah. It's in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and it's being hosted by Penn State University by their Department of Humanities. And since I'm not sure that you're, uh, th those two people you're referring to are going to quite be ready to compete for the national championship, we'll no. create our own little fun our own fun mini competition for them where we'll come we'll take some of the events and we'll we'll make them more bite-sized for them that'll but it's be really a lot good. of it'll be a lot of fun <laughs> all right well thank you for joining us thank you michael for coming on today um look forward thank to you. having you back thank you it's been a lot of fun and you're listening to mastermind you know you can reach me dr rebecca md on instagram or facebook and dr rebecca md.com online. So we will see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to Mastermind. Please join Dr. Rebecca for another show next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. We'll talk again next week. 